Last week, I did something radical. I deleted email off my phone. So you had work emails coming directly into your phone? Uh, yeah. Private emails as well? Yeah, private, work, the whole thing. It's. I've tried different strategies in the past because I've recognised that it's been an issue. So one of the strategies that I developed... Well, just stop there. What's the issue? Recognising the issue, what is that? Email and checking email was taking over my life. The constant checking. First thing in the morning, wake up, 6am, in bed, reach over the phone, bunch of notifications, oh, I'll just check my email. It could be Saturday, 9am, 6am, whatever. Um, and then once you started in the morning, then going back and doing it all day. And do you have the same problem with Facebook as well? Yes. Which has notifications as well? Yes. And I've tried to turn them off, Facebook mm. notifications, but I haven't been successful. You haven't been down the road of deleting the Facebook app? I feel like that's a whole other thing. Like, let's just start small. I've started small with email. So you've identified there is a problem with your interaction with technology and perhaps work inviting itself into your private life. In the bathroom with the kids, bathing them. I sit on the sit on the dunny because that's mm. the seat in mm-hmm. the bathroom, mm-hmm. and I'm checking emails. And you're not re- talking to my children so or playing. And you're with reading, my reading the emails. Read, reading, replying, imagining replies, getting irate at potential. The thinking how I'm going to write or respond to a certain issue or complaint or so problem. Is there any separation for you between work and private time? Is there a time when you say no, I'm not? Well. I haven't set that up very well. So, I mean, we have this kind of phenomenon now called life splicing where technology basically has eroded those differences between work life and home life or between the public and the private sphere. So, you know, in the same way that we might be at work and we're, you know, we're checking Facebook or we're doing some online shopping, so the personal intrudes into the work sphere... It happens the other way as well, of course. So, you you know, you're on the couch um, watching telly and you're checking emails, uh, writing emails, doing work. And it's this lack of consideration for that technology coming in. We just adopt these things, don't we? We just go for without it. Any, without sort of any real consideration. I think people are starting to reach that point of saying, hang on, is this working for me? Yeah, well, I think that's the bigger question, isn't it? Like... Um, to what extent is this technology good for us? Um, and initially, when I got email on the phone, I was like, this is a revolution. Like, um, I'm going to be so much more productive, so much more efficient. I'm, I'm going to get things done. I'm going to reply to emails really quickly. You know, and I, you kind of sold that promise. And then you realise that actually it's just, eroding any division Mm. between work and home life and you're just checking emails all the time and you switched on to work life and all the emotional um work that goes with that and is there some thoughts that there's a there's a there's a chemical hit from getting that type of notification as well oh i think there's like yeah all the work in psychology they're saying you know there's a sort of rise in dopamine or or, um, serotonin or whatever when you're getting these things it must do something because you're not the lone ranger there's lots of people doing that i've done it myself where you get caught in this kind of cycle of checking absolutely and there's the sort of the routine of checking isn't there so there's on your phone facebook twitter snapchat mail you go um the weather 
Strava. <laughs> Maybe not to the same level as that. I was thinking more Facebook, perhaps. Yeah. But they're the, you know, you sort of go across the platforms. Whereas I separated a couple of years ago my work emails. Did you? Off my phone. I can log into them via the... <laughs> what's interesting is I do log into them via the internet. Right. So I still do that, but it just takes a couple of extra steps to do it. But I have noticed that that's becoming... More regular. Yeah. And yeah. those four steps become almost... There's no Automated. conscious thought. I'm in there. It, yeah, And I exactly. have one of the same thing. Why am I looking at this? Yeah, yeah. So I developed similar strategies, like recognising that it was a problem. So I was like, right, I'm going to hide the mail folder in the you know you know in one of those sorry the mail um, app in one of the folders where I can't see it on the I can't see it so if I don't see it I won't check it mm. that didn't work then I tried you know you go into the settings and you you can turn off you know your email account like the exchange account so the the idea being oh there's a few more steps now you have to turn it on to, but as you say, it just becomes completely automated. I could do those five or six swipes in 0.5 seconds. And when you when you're addicted to something, or perhaps not the word is addiction, but perhaps if you're very keen to do something, we can we constantly outsmart ourselves. Yeah, you find we, we put these things in place to try and prevent yourself from doing something. Yeah, and yeah. You will find a way. Yep. To outsmart yourself unless you get to the root of the problem. Yeah. What do you think the root of the problem is here? Why do you want those emails? Why do you want to look at them? Why are you checking? What are you looking for? I think there's a deeper existential thing with email where it's always got the promise of something exciting, life-changing, like that's just around the corner. You know that feeling like you just... There's almost like a gambling kind of feeling to it. It's like the next email could be the great job offer, the the promotion, the... The, the award, the, you know, some something amazing. And because sometimes amazing things do happen through email, like but, a but, new connection, like in academia, like, you know, good things do happen through but email. But do the numbers bear it out, though? Like how often are those emails actually coming through? And oh, well, it must be like one in a thousand. It's about delayed gratification, isn't it, though? Because you could go and look at that email the next day at work and get the same reward. Mm, mm, mm. So it is about getting that pleasure hit isn't it or that there's something might be fascinating interesting appealing in there but usually in my case it's it's a bulk email of some kind it's a um it's a um what do you call it you know just like a um oh what's the word um can't remember uh you know like a uh Email? You know, like a um, scam, not a scam email, but spam. spam you know, oh it's just a yes, oh, spam. Oh, the inner workings of your brain. Oh, it's just firing. <laughs> spam. Welcome to the sideshow of my mind. Is spam. It all, is it also, I've thought about this as well, is it the, the, the escape from what's actually going on? Is it perhaps feeling slight tinges of boredom in those moments and looking for that here? Well, it's the challenge is that we we check our phones when we're not doing anything else. I call it interstitial time. What do you, do you like that? It's yeah. the in-between time. So it's like you're at a bus stop, you pull up, you drop your kids off or your partner takes your kids and you're sitting in the car. You've just finished your breakfast. 
there's just so many moments that make up the day where there's just just a moment where you're not doing something. And I think they are the moments we now fill up with constant checking of our phones. Which allows for no calm, reflective time. Absolutely. Research has shown that we check our phones up to 221 times a day. You're getting emotional. I am. It sounded like your voice was sort of... Really? <laughs> yeah, it sounded like your voice was... I'm, you are about to cry over that statistic. I'm really emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Stats are emotional. Yes. Yeah. How many times a day do we check our phones? All this stuff about, you know, survey data being boring and it's, mm. it's moving stuff. Mm. So something like once every 4.3 minutes... People check their... People are checking their phones. Right. And, you know, move, the move to the smartphone changes how we access the internet and how we communicate, interact, all this stuff. Um, but, yeah, 81% of Australians um, now own a, a smartphone and something like, I don't know, like 4% of 18 to 34-year-olds don't have one. So that's how dominant this technology in our lives. And then there's such a short period of time as well. Mm. And now it's just taken for granted. But it's also the companies which are driving this desire as well, aren't they? Facebook, those sort of those companies. I realise email is slightly different because it's perhaps been driven by external people sending you messages. Mm, but mm. Facebook in particular is very good at dragging you back in, giving yep. you notifications. Oh, we haven't seen you in for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one message. There's one message. Oh, what is it? We haven't seen you in a while. Nick Hookway just posted his first post for a while. Yeah. And then other people will get that, yeah. that message. So their algorithms are designed to create yeah. that. To, to, pull, to pull you back in. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But email, perhaps a little different? Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was in about grade 10 and there was a guy that I used to hang out with. He was a, an older guy. He was a teacher. He was a bright man, mm. a bit of a mentor of mine. And I remember he, he famously said to me, when email had first come out, and he said, it's one of the greatest gimmicks. It's, it, it's never going to take on. Long live the facts. <laughs> email, it's not going anywhere. So I kind of used to um, spout this idea as a, as a young man. Ah, oh, email, you know, eventually you've got to get face-to-face with people. It's never going to take off. Yeah. Mm. Didn't quite get that. One right. No. Not a great social forecaster. What sort of numbers are you talking for emails that you're receiving? It's when you when you click on it. Per day? Yeah. Oh. These kind of factoids get thrown around. They reckon that people sometimes, you know, get about 200 a day. I would say that I probably get about um, 50. 50 a day. And I mean, half of that oh, quarter might be spam. Maybe uh, the rest is... Products that you've ordered on their way in the mail <laughs> um, has been dispatched. Work bulk emails. I work for a large organisation, so there's a lot of email traffic generated just through that stuff. And then I guess there's more personal and direct emails. Mm. Um, and I use this flagging system with like I use a red flag because mm. just to manage it, so I know what to respond to. Mm. Um, do you have strategies like that for managing email? Yeah, but um, I was thinking about how quickly we scan them now, or how quickly I scan emails now. Mm. It's like you scan it for that. It's just such a surface quick read. Do, I, a... do I need to know this? Is it important? Do I need to do anything? Yeah, exactly. And you're just sort of going... Hrup, yeah, yeah, yeah. Through it so quickly. And if I answer yes to any of those three questions, mm. then I'll put my little red signpost and then delete everything else and then hopefully close it down and I tend do to leave it. I tend to leave it as un- mark it as unread. 
Oh, do you? See, when that I, I can't deal with I, the, the, the notification that they're unread. I can't leave them. I can't let it, those red numbers sitting there on my desktop. Right. It just that 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 just that drives me crazy. So, what brought you to this? Was there a, was there a crunch point for this deletion? I think what happened was it was a Friday. I just released all the assignment results to the first year students in my sociology class which were all delivered online, marked online. And then I sent out this message along the lines of, you know, here's your feedback. Take your time to process this. And if you have problems, come back to me in a few days. I, I was, I'll be sitting on my toilet waiting for your email. Yeah, I'll be sitting. <laughs> Don't worry, Saturday morning at 6, I'll be ready to go, guys. Um, I'm on. I'm an efficient, productive worker. Um, that's the other thing with this, isn't it? You know, there's the timing around how you respond and certain what sort of worker you want to communicate. You know, are you someone who lets an email go for two or three days, four or five, a week? Or are you someone that gets back within 24 hours? And if, with the students, you know, we set policies around that. Mm. All your, we will endeavour to reply to your emails within 48 hours. But there's a culture of expecting it to be right there and then. 48 hours feels like a long time in email land. It does, doesn't it? But it, it, it drives this culture of um, everything being instantaneous. Mm. Um, so the moment was releasing the results and then it was close a business, shut down a laptop, go home, and then, of course, I just check my email on my phone sitting on the couch, watching the telly, watching the footy, trying to relax. Mm. Not that relaxing, watching Hawthorne these days, play. Um, and there it is. You know, you've got two or three emails from, from students who are not happy with their mark or there's some problem. And then I just go into this... Then that then shapes my entire weekend. I'm thinking about how to reply to these emails... You know, you you have your own emotional responses to it and you just totally tune back into work for the weekend. And it was that night that I said, I'm deleting email. I had to Google how to do it. Mm -hmm. You're looking tired. No, no, I'm listening. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I'm listening. I'm everything you're saying. I'm, do you want to check I'm, your email? I'm picturing in my mind what you're doing. I'm thinking about deleting it, and I was thinking, can you just fucking drag it into yeah. the trash? Now, this was the thing. I was like, <laughs> how do you actually get rid of this bloody thing? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, the first strategy is turn, you can turn it off, which I tried. Yeah. Quickly found a way around that. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to delete it. So I Googled it, and sure enough, with the iPhone, you can just delete the bloody thing. And uh, did you notice straight away how much you'd been doing it once you'd gotten, gotten rid of it. So the next day you wake up or the next day you act, that's when you notice. That's when you notice. It's incredible. You think you notice. Yeah. When you've got it, you think, oh, looking at this a lot. When you get deleted off or delete the app, you suddenly go, oh, wow, I've got that urge again to look at that. You see, you've, I've, I've, I've go through the sequence and it's like, ah, oh, this is the point where I open email and it's not there. And then I have this moment of like, oh, what am I going to do now? I was like, this is when you put the phone down, play with your kids. And I particularly noticed it too when I've been waiting for things like haircuts, all those type of things. And sometimes I actually don't take my phone with me. Do you? And I sit there and it, and, and it feels funny. It does. Initially it's like, oh, I would normally look at my phone, read something, watch something, and just actually sit. 
still. Because those norms of doing something are so powerful, aren't they? So it's hard. So the, the, the smartphone is so powerful because it's, you can seem to be doing something. You're occupied, when you, particularly when you're sitting by yourself or when you're you know, in this interstitial time when you're not doing anything. You know, you're meant to be busy somehow, even if you're by yourself, like reading a book or reading a magazine. Like, and think com- about the waiting room. It's a companion as well. Waiting room magazine subscriptions have just gone down. No one picks them up anymore. Well, occasionally I do. Do you? Occasionally, yeah. Cars magazine or no. Men's Health? No. You always <laughs> go to those magazines. Those are, they're your are they my, they're yeah. the only magazines that... You know. Woman's Day. Um, it also makes you not look uh, like you're on your own, too. Yeah. You're engaged, you're busy. You're on your phone. You're not sitting by yourself looking yeah. straight ahead. You're doing something. It's the norm of doing something. There's a great experiment that you can do with first years in sociology where you get them to do nothing. So it's the doing nothing um, experiment. It's a norm-breaching um, experiment. So you go outside and you stand in a group and you don't do anything for five minutes. You stand absolutely still. You're not allowed to check your phone. You're not allowed to fidget. You just have to stand and be. And, it, and it's so fascinating how you feel in your body in that you're just desperate to do something. How do we interpret the impact of these technologies on our everyday lives, you know, and there's obviously different takes. There's more pessimistic takes, there's more optimistic takes. You know, the optimistic one is, you know, technology is driving us closer, new forms of connection, new forms of belonging, new forms of community. The negative side is it's actually drawing us away from each other. We're more lonely, more disconnected, like we're more connected and tethered than we've ever been, but at the same time, we're fearful of intimacy and closeness. Sherry Turkle does some really interesting research in this area. She's a US um, social psychologist. And she reports something like, you know, uh, nearly 85% of Americans say that in a conversation that they've had recently, someone's got out their smartphone. And then then 80% of those people say that that affected the quality of the interaction. Well, it happens, doesn't it? If someone is in a group and they start looking at their phone... You, you do clock it. You notice it. Yeah. Does it, do and people do that? Like if you're catching up with a friend or a mate or a work colleague, do they, have, you, have you had that happen to you? Uh, I haven't noticed it so much one-on-one. It's more perhaps in a group setting where the primary conversationalist is not that person. They're kind of in the conversation, they're listening, but they're not really having... They're the ones who kind of drift oh, they away. They tune out. They yeah. kind of tune away. Yeah. And it's yeah. almost like the, the phone is like a social licence to withdraw from the conversation. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of have these reports of, you know, in the workplace, you know, you have these meetings and because we can't be bored anymore, um, we always have to be constantly doing something. So, and meetings are, what, 95% of the time boring. Yes. So you're sitting there and people are emailing, checking Facebook... So they're, they're just not there. They're not present. And I think that this rise in the idea of mindfulness and being present seems to coincide it's... because there's such a, a contrast between the busyness of the mind with 
these technologies compared to 10 or 20 years ago. It wasn't such a hyperactive, perhaps, mind to calm down from. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because there's been this, yeah, it's so popular, the whole mindfulness movement. At the same time, we have this culture of um, distraction and short attention span. So they're probably... Mindlessness. Mindlessness, yeah, Yeah. exactly. But maybe people are in those meetings, you know, reading about how to... Um, be mindful or whatever as they're as they're tuning as they're tuning out from being in the moment and being bored and there's lots of um you know the psychologists say we need to be bored like we need to have those moments where we're just not doing anything where we're just sitting still we're bored you know we're twiddling our thumbs and there's lots of evidence to suggest that those from those moments we actually have you know it's great for our imagination for our creativity of course, there's a whole other debate about what this means for kids, um, you know, where you've got iPads, you know, stuck in the, um, you know, like in the, in the um, you know, kids kind of rocking, rocking, not rocking chairs, whatever you call them. Like, bassinet. Yeah, the bassinet or, you know, things with the, you know, sort of sleep pacifiers or whatever you Can call you stop them. stop doing that? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> This is me trying to cue what that thing is. Unlocking, unlocking that part of your brain. You're very kinesthetic. Yes, I in am. that regard, you're trying to remember things because our brains weren't exposed to this until we were well developed into adulthood. Yeah, and they're being exposed at an earlier age, and the struggles that we're having mm. to manage these things. Yeah, having some calmer baseline to perhaps. Yeah. To rely on, whereas they're not coming from that that calm base. So Turkle talks about how these sorts of technologies are eroding conversation. Firstly, I'm surprised that a turtle can talk. Turkle. Sherry Turkle. Uh, there's a great TED talk that she does if you want to check it out. Um, but she talks about, you know, whether it's in family, whether it's in education, whether it's in romance, you know, how these technologies are, are reshaping us, not necessarily for the best, and how we're losing the ability to be close, to be intimate, um, to be in the moment, to have genuine moments of solitude, and also the art of conversation, that we're so distracted by a technology. Daddy, stop emailing, I'm trying to talk to you. Mm. <laughs> has that been said? Yeah, yeah. But what she actually advises, which is interesting, is trying to carve out spaces, that sacred spaces where conversation occurs. So she talks about the kitchen, the car. Meals meals where there is no technology present and where you actually talk and look i love technology and you know i'm probably a digital utopianist at heart but i feel especially with young kids that she is actually getting at something Mm. Uh, i feel like the technology is distracting us at times and funny enough it's like it's okay to read the paper or a magazine it's not seen as as sort of a socially obtrusive as being on your phone well this is what's you know i've seen images where people well you know that well, all the all the complaints about social media are overblown and they'll show earlier images of everyone holding a newspaper up on a bus and of course you know every new technology whether the tel- be the telegraph or the phone is met with this kind of social critique and mm. you know this is the end of human civilization and um it does feel more addictive, though, doesn't it? Is there think? something... I think there is something different because the newspaper 
isn't as ubiquitous in terms of that convergence of technology, the convergence of all those different things you can do now, whether mm. it's email, whether it's weather, whether it's checking Facebook. There's, you can't do all those things on a newspaper no, and, and you don't carry your newspaper on you all day. Unless you had to go to the toilet. Yeah. It had a, dis, you know, it was, there was space where you read the, at the breakfast table, perhaps you would maybe read the newspaper. But it also or, has more of a calming, perhaps, reading the newspaper. Yeah. Because you're kind of engaged for the longer. You're not jumping around. You're choosing which article to read. Yeah. And you're moving forth, but you're not going, oh, I've thought of that, I've thought of that, I've thought of that. It reminds me of that. I need to watch that. There's not as much. It actually, the newspaper can actually feel calming. Yeah. Whereas when you're sort of deep Googling. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't leave you in a calm state. No. Because you, cause you actually lose track. And it doesn't scream at you for attention with through notification and alerts in the same way. So how long have you been um, sans email on your phone? It's been a week. And what's the and effect? It, and it feels good. Um, like, there's no way I would go back. Uh, I realise that my productivity hasn't dropped 10% by not emailing or not checking email over the weekend. It's actually relieving. Um, and I can now look forward to Monday morning and and checking checking those emails and look the job I'm in it's no one dies if I don't check an email um, it'll go on if someone really wants me they can call me so I'm even thinking of I'm going the next I might go the next level Facebook I might delete Facebook I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm ready how will, you, how will you know if you're ready? I don't know. It's brave. It's bold. I think I might do it. I wouldn't class it as brave. Have you got Facebook on your phone? I've deleted it off my phone. Ah! But maybe I should take a leaf out. I didn't realise that you were on the avant-garde of sort of the digital detox and were... Well, I wouldn't say I was doing it. Well, I think you are. I've experimented with it, though, and I've noticed the benefits. Yes. All right. Okay. Well, I've started with email. I, maybe I'll go the whole hog. Get Facebook off as well. Big time. <laughs>